Welcome to another episode of the Medical Liability Minute. I'm your host, Jeff Siegel. I'm founder and CEO of Medical Justice. We are joined today by our general counsel, Mike Sakopoulos. Welcome, Mike. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And today we continue our long-running series of Ripped from the Headlines, where we highlight things that we've seen in the news related to unfortunate physicians in the crosshairs, typically medical legal crosshairs, and they found themselves um, as items in the news. Our goal today is to see if we can learn from these cases so none of you become part of our series ripped from the headlines. So why don't you start off with a fact pattern in this case, just background, it's a fertility specialist uses his own sperm to impregnate patients. With that, jump in. Oh my. Um, a suit was filed in Rochester, New York, claiming that a gynecologist and fertility specialist used his own sperm to inseminate multiple patients. And this story comes to us from the Associated Press and was seen in multiple news outlets. Mm-hmm. The suit was uh, filed last month uh, by the daughter, and we'll call her uh, Harriet Jones, of one of the women who received fertility services from the doctor in the 1980s. Jones's suit alleges at the time the doctor told her mother that the sperm donor would be a medical student at the University of Rochester. In fact, the donor was the doctor himself. He kept uh, that fact a secret for years, even after Jones, his own daughter, uh, (laughs) sought him out for gynecological uh, services. Okay, hang tight. Let's make sure we know who the characters are in this, okay? So we have the gynecologist. Then we have um, a woman who was impregnated in the 1980s. So again, we're talking from the 1980s, and this was part of fertility treatment, and then it worked. Uh, But it turned out that um, the, um, the sperm donor wasn't a medical student. It was the fertility doctor who continued practicing in gynecology and actually treated both mother and daughter for gynecologic services. Is that a good so far summary? It it is a a good so far uh, summary. And let's just pause here to acknowledge that it would be very difficult for you and I to have made up this fact pattern. (laughs) Let's Uh, acknowledge that. Yes. In that context, go on. That's right. The secret gradually uh, began to to come to light in 2016 when Jones's non-biological father, the man who had helped a razor, died. Curious about her biological father, Jones sought to learn his identity from the Rochester gynecologist who had treated her mother and was now her own gynecologist. The doctor said that he couldn't be of help. He, he claimed that he hadn't kept uh, relevant records. But, but of course, he could have provided a sperm sample or DNA, right? So he, he could help. But he just, I, okay. It would be hard to think that he didn't know the answer to Uh, her question. Uh, Jones then submitted a blood sample to a direct-to-consumer genetic uh, testing company. Like 23 23 me or something along those lines. Uh, The results surprised her. (laughs) There's an understatement. Not (laughs) only did she learn uh, of her ethnicity, but she also discovered the uh, existence of two half-siblings 
who were donor conceived in 1984 and in 1985, respectively, uh, the very period when her own mother was undergoing insemination procedures. Mm -hmm. Joan subsequently discovered the existence of additional half siblings, all born in the first half of the 1980s. Mm, gives new meaning to the word extended family, right? That's <laughs> initially elated uh, by the discoveries. Jones soon grew despondent and anxious. She suffered from migraine headaches, among other symptoms. Her biological father, it seemed, had been a serial sperm donor. But just, just so um, we educate the broader audience, in sperm clinics, it would not be, or at least in fertility clinics, having medical student medical students as sperm donors, it would not be a surprise for the donors to have impregnated multiple women. A serial sperm donor in and of itself shouldn't be considered uh, problematic. Right. So she continues to go to her Rochester doctor for treatment, having no reason to suspect anything untoward about him. Her visits including those for prolonged menstrual bleeding, involved routine breast and pelvic exams, transvaginal mm -hmm. ultrasounds, and interurinal uh, <clears throat> IUD yeah. uh, placement. Um, so she's getting the full plan of panoply of gynecological mm -hmm. uh, services from what she does not realize is her biological father. Over the period, her doctor was friendly, asked her a variety of questions about her personal life. During one especially strange visit, however, he began uh, chuckling and said, you're a really good kid, such a good kid. During this visit, he invited uh, his wife into the exam room, presumably to meet Jones. It was at this moment that Jones had a revelation. Could her gynecologist actually be her biological father? Mm. In May 2021, Jones and a half-brother with whom she had been in touch contacted the gyneco gynecologist's daughter from his first marriage. All three went for genetic testing. The results showed a 99.99% .99 chance of a genetic link. It seems like it could be from CSI, you know, the way she connected to um, the doctor's daughter, because here she had connected with half siblings, but somehow she also was able to connect with, you know, a defined daughter, one that grew up in the same household as a gynecologist. Fascinating. So, so she, Jones files a suit and it, her suit says that no reasonable woman would have submitted to a uh, pelvic examination and other examinations by a doctor whom she knew to be her father. Besides fraud, her suit alleges medical malpractice, battery, infliction of mental distress, and lack of informed consent. She is seeking compensation for all harm caused to her, including past and future economic damages, past unreimbursed medical expenses, and future expenses related to her mental health treatment and care. The story include, included no further details about civil litigation. As for criminal charges, it's unlikely that Jones's biological father, her gynecologist, 
or should we say former gynecologist, will face any criminal uh, charges for alleged crimes because they fall outside of the state's statute of limitations. So there we are. There's a lot to, um, to unpack here. Yeah, this is, um, this is a very unusual uh, case. Uh, if you go back to the beginning, and I mean into the 1980s in seeking services, they asked for a medical student to be uh, the donor. And arguably, they got a donor. They got a full-fledged medical doctor, not just a medical student. So I think one of the initial allegations was that they asked for a medical student, but they got a doctor. I think that's going to be a hard argument uh, to make, only because medical students typically become doctors. So I'm not even sure that would be actionable, even if the statute of limitations had not run on that particular claim. And there are newer claims that I think uh, are more likely to uh, to carry water, or at least to be successful. In particular, the intentional infliction of emotional distress, all, all of the, the challenges related to um, the the patient learning who her father was and being examined with in you know with intimate examinations with breast examinations vaginal examinations and so on and if this doctor knew if he knew that he was the donor i don't see how he could not know that i think once the patient learned that was the case i think she's got a fairly strong case what do you think? I think so. Um, look, where this doctor's clearly going to have problems is with the Board of Medicine, because this really, I think, oversteps professional uh, boundaries in treating someone that without disclosing your um, biological relationship uh, to them uh, in, in, this, in this way. So I think that the doctor's problems are not... Uh, solely limited to civil liability or med mal claims, I think that there could be a board of medicine issue awaiting the good doctor. Yeah. I, I know they made a point about serial sperm donor. We talked about that a little while ago. Um, I wonder, I mean, my argument to that or my response to that is so what? Um, the main risk potentially with a single donor of sperm to many you know, recipients would be that the donor's progeny would all meet one another and procreate, increasing the odds of recessive genetic traits ultimately ultimately being manifest. But I'm not sure this is much different than just growing up in a, a tight, insular, small community where people are marrying their cousins, if you will. And it's not considered, I, I mean, every state, I think, treats marriage differently and i don't know what the laws are in north carolina where i live or indiana where you live whether um, you probably cannot marry your sister but um i'm guessing you know you I, I don't even know whether you can marry a half sister i don't know whether you can marry a cousin but the the, the rationale behind many of those these, these are <laughs> questions best left unanswered yeah, um, yeah. Right? But they are, but they could be identified path. on Google, I'm sure. <laughs> and, exactly. And, and I'm hopeful that some of the people watch list you will be on if you do that Google search. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but um, you understand but, the rationale. <laughs> the rationale is designed to minimize the likelihood of genetic 
problems becoming manifest, particularly if they're recessive traits and you have the increased odds of recessive trait connecting to yet another recessive trait so that they both become um, expressed um, and, and potentially either life-threatening or lethal. So I, I kind of understand it, but here you've got a doctor practicing in a metropolitan region. The likelihood of this being an issue is probably low. Um, so again, I'm, I'm not justifying the behavior. I'm just not sure about the merits of that particular uh, legal argument. What's interesting is is that the um, the original patient, the mother, is not mentioned as bringing any kind of cause of action uh, here, mm -hmm. and um, I'm not sure that she has one. Right? I mean, she was there for fertility treatment and um, you know, ultimately and decades ago and, and, and decades, decades ago, ago although this although the the facts that it was her physician's sperm uh just recently came to light and that might have stopped a statute i i don't know but this seems uh completely in my mind wrapped around the treatment of the daughter and the mental uh stress that that and in harm that that did to the daughter for her biological father not revealing his his status uh completely right and so um how this how this ultimately works out i don't know but i i don't see this as being a and i could be completely wrong right we don't have lots of cases like this to compare it to this does not seem to me to be a large dollar uh a large dollar case um but arguably she's suffered some real mental uh, trauma here. I think it comes down to this. The patient, in this case, the doctor's daughter, um, was repeatedly examined by her biologic father. She was examined. Examination took place of intimate body parts, and it creeped the daughter out. So no surprise there. I, I don't know whether the physician was aware of his status as being the biologic father. I'm going to take an educated guess and say he did know and just assumed when he was participating in this, you know, decades ago, he could never imagine um, being in the situation. But he was already taking care of the mother. And when the daughter came, his daughter came to, um, to meet him as a patient, I guess the question was, should he have just opted out and just said, I'm full or I, I can't see, or maybe you should see an associate. There probably were forks in the road where he could have taken a different path and would have delivered a different outcome. My guess is he didn't think about it. I, I doubt that he did either because it, it looks like there was 30 years or so between um, the time that he inseminated the mother and, and that, um, that the daughter appears in the exam room. So perhaps the first exam or first appointment or two, um, you could excuse that he didn't, didn't realize. But the fact pattern of inviting his wife in to meet the patient seems like at some point the light went on in his head and he realized. You have to admit that that's an odd thing for a gynecologist uh, to do. Yeah, he probably, I mean, he was telling the, his daughter, you're such a good kid, such a good kid. You generally would not say that to a grown woman who's a patient. 
And when his wife came into the room, I'm sure there was a wink, wink. This is one of my kids. And we don't know that, but I'm, I think that's probably what happened. You know, it's like, Hey, so, check this out. Decades like later. What a, what, what, a, what a crazy, what a crazy, interesting world we live in. And here, right in my office, there probably, there probably were light bulbs that should have gone off before that event. And, and that probably, that probably sealed the litigation. <laughs> Well, you know, the bit it. about her being a good kid, you have to admit that that compliment carries significantly more weight given the number of children this physician has had, right? I mean, he's got a lot of people to compare her to. So it's probably a nice compliment. Uh, let me talk about one of the other underlying issues uh, in this particular case that has no legal import whatsoever, but it's just a just an observation of character and human behavior here. Okay. So stay with me on this. Um, why didn't this doctor just use medical students? I mean, it's the cheapest form of labor that exists on the planet to save a few bucks. This is just beyond bizarre. And it could be the doctor was just really cheap. And I want to make a distinction between cheap and frugal. Okay. Frugal is good. I'm a fan of frugal, but cheap, I don't, you can't cure cheap. And so I don't know whether he was just saving a few bucks by using medical students or whether the medical students being who they were, um, maybe weren't building up sufficient quantities of, of sperm and there was a quality control issue and he just needed to fill in the gap because the women who were there were presumably there during a particular part of their cycle and he couldn't have them wait another month if the sample that was delivered by medical students had actually, you know, was was low on sperm because they had gone out, if you will, the night before. I mean, a thousand different reasons. But I, I think if this was a one-off, I would get it. But the fact that there were, there was an extended family of um, of half siblings who all had a chance to meet one another suggests that it was just cheap and not frugal. <laughs> This calls for an FBI type of profiler, right? I mean, we need to <laughs> really delve into the psychological condition that would uh, promote someone to do this kind of behavior. And sadly, this isn't the only example of this that we, we've come across in the general media, right? I mean, there, there have been other reports of, of this as well. Uh, and who knows how long this has gone on. It's only because of these companies like 23andMe and, and others that are direct to consumer on genetics that... Uh, some of this is being being discovered. I think, you know, the, these are the old rules where babies were born with anonymous donors and the expectation was they would never really learn who their biologic father was because all of these medical students have been given reassurances that they could donate, collect a modest amount of money and that under no circumstances would there be any legal obligation to disclose their identity and that there'd be no practical way to do that. So, I mean, think about this. This was in the eighties, you know, 40, 40 years ago. Um, I don't think people then who were donating um, appreciated that new DNA testing would cost about nothing and genealogy charts would be easily created um, and that there really wouldn't be any <laughs> anonymity especially if you as a donor participate in sites such as 23andMe or Ancestry.com 
et cetera. So 40 years ago, it was hard to imagine that this particular day would, would arrive, that there'd be cheap DNA, DNA tests, and everybody would be fascinated about who their, who their relatives were. And it would be easy from a telecommunication standpoint to contact these people and put together your own genealogy chart. I just don't think anybody thought about it. I think they were all given reassurances that you could remain anonymous and not have to worry about this. But I think this is yet another example of the technology advancing faster than our institution's ability to control them. And, you know, here here we are. Now, if it was just the medical student, it wouldn't be a problem because had it been the same medical student who was a serial um, um, sperm donor, this wouldn't even be an interesting story. Um, what makes this interesting is that um, the patient found her biologic father. The biologic father turned out to be the gynecologist. And in 2021, he was examining his daughter and potentially aware that this was his daughter and examining her with intimate body parts. And when she discovered this, it appropriately creeped her out. Now she's looking for a monetary uh, award. I think well, what if it what if it had been a medical student who later went on and specialized in gynecology? I mean, we can certainly know. see how that would happen where yeah. the medical student then is is treating um, his daughter without any kind of real. I mean, the, the twist on this one is the, the gynecologist knew what had happened in the in the 80s. Where, it's knowledge. It's That's his right. knowledge. It's his knowledge. If this were just a random coincidence, it would be a fascinating story, but it would have zero legal import. I'm not sure it would even have much interest in the press because all sorts of collisions occur in real life where where people are unaware of the background uh, of that. Um, but in, But this case is different. I do think the doctor had knowledge and carried on and had multiple exit ramps and chose not to do it, although now he's probably going to have his uh, easiest exit ramp if the Board of Medicine uh, gets involved. And I think even if the Board of Medicine did not get involved, there's probably so much negative publicity associated with this case, it, it may be hard to maintain a viable practice after this. But who knows? The, America is the land of second chances. You don't know, but We've got to assume that there's some space of available on his schedule at the moment. <laughs> I think you're right. So let's um, let's wrap up here. Um, we have a interesting case of a fertility doctor who substituted for his um, substituted for the alleged medical student by being a full-fledged doctor, and he donated his own sperm. And the um, one of his um, products, if you will learned that she had multiple half-siblings across the country sharing the same paternal DNA, that paternal DNA belonging to her now gynecologist. And she was able to make that confirmation by collecting DNA samples from the half-siblings, but also um, an identified daughter of the doctor, connecting the dots, putting them all together. And not surprisingly, this has turned into litigation. And once we learn how this plays out, we can and will report back.
Any final thoughts on this, Mike, before we move no, on to closure here? No, I, I think we best leave this one as it as it sits and move on. All right. So that's another wrap for the Medical Liability Minute. Thank you so much for joining us. We will see you again soon. And with that, we're at the end of our broadcast. Thanks for joining us. In closing, a few messages. If you're an existing member of medical or dental justice and you find yourself on the receiving end of a medical legal threat, please contact us at 1-877-MEDJUST. That's 1-877-MEDJUST or 633-5878. Our STAT hotline is a service offered to all current members. It's designed to get your urgent medical legal questions answered ASAP. Members can also access a plethora of exclusive medical legal resources by logging into their members-only page, which can be accessed by our website, medicaljustice.com. Now, we want to protect as many doctors as possible. If one of your colleagues is in trouble, please refer him. When a current member of medical justice refers a colleague and that colleague becomes a member, you both receive a month of free protection. To refer a colleague, write to us at infonews, that's I-N, Epison Frank O. News at medicaljustice.com. That's infonews at medicaljustice.com. Now, before we close, one last request. If you enjoyed this episode, please write a review on your preferred podcast provider and share our podcast with your colleagues. Reviews help maintain our podcast visibility which in turn helps us reach a broader audience. This helps us protect more doctors. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope you'll join us on the next episode of the Medical Liability Minute.